0: Elon Musk tweeted, say goodbye to homework, and everyone just sat and waited, and now they're scrambling, placing blame.
1: Welcome to the Diary of a Researcher, where we unearth controversies, discoveries and address the uncomfortable topics. Whether you're in academia or industry, professor or student, these are the things worth knowing to give you that slight edge in your field. I am your host, Matthew O'Neill. Chat GPT-MAI. Robots versus humans. Friend versus foe. Threat or opportunity? It all depends on how you use it. Hey there listeners, today we're diving into a topic that's been highly requested man versus robots. We apologise for the delay, but we're finally here and ready to tackle this exciting subject. And you know what's funny? This topic was already in our books before November 22. Why is that significant, you ask? Well, that's when OpenAI launched their AI chatbot, ChatGPT, after four years of development and a whooping billion-dollar investment from big players like Microsoft and Elon Musk. So, in a way, it's a good thing we didn't get to this topic earlier as it would have been outdated. And who knows, with the additional billions in investment they received upon launch, this topic might become outdated again soon. Now, we all know that artificial intelligence chatbots are not a new thing. We've been using applications like Grammarly and summarizing tools for a while now, which even have AI-generated audio. They may not have that human touch and quirks, but trust me, they don't sound as robotic as you might think. And here's the thing, the fear of robots taking over is not a new concept. It's been around for longer than we can imagine. However, AI has been a tremendous help in our technological and medical advancements. How many of us can live without our Alexa? So today we're going to explore man versus robots, chat GPT, and what it means for education as this has been considered the most under threat. And to help us with this discussion, we have the pleasure of being joined by the brilliant Dr. Sammy from Publix.
0: Hey there, folks. I won't be taking the lead on the tech side of things today. Instead, our resident expert will guide us through this fascinating topic.
1: Well, I will try. So, Dr. Sammy, what is AI? What is artificial intelligence? Is it scary?
0: So, AI, it's a term that's up for debate. Does it really exist? And is it actually artificial intelligence? Well, I think we're past the point of arguing about that now, so let's just accept it and explain it in a way that we'll all understand. People fear AI because they think it's more intelligent than it is or us, or maybe they've seen too many movies like The Matrix and whatnot. But you know what they say, people fear what they don't know. But that's where we come in today to demystify AI and provide you with the knowledge to understand it better.
1: Now. I'm guessing you're not worried about robots taking over.
0: I'm cautious, but also eager to learn. As we know, robots are not a new thing. Some people think it started with computers, but the idea of machines taking over human work has been around for a long time. Think about it. People were scared of equipment, taking their jobs in farming and factories. But what happened was that it created different types of jobs. With increased production output, you need people to manage and distribute goods, handle logistics, and maintain the equipment. And now we can feed and supply so much of the population abundantly, we can't even imagine going back to a time before that. Even in the lab, we're so excited whenever we get a new piece of equipment that can automate a previously daunting process, but then we realize we need a team of technicians to manage and maintain the equipment. So it's kind of a give and take, you know?
1: So, you know what? I don't think robots will take over. I believe they have a place that serves us, humans, if we use it responsibly. And that's how it should be. As social creatures, we thrive on social connections and enjoy being served. I don't think advancements will stop anytime soon.
0: No, it wouldn't. I think we need to get on board and embrace these advancements. I love my Alexa so much, and that's AI. She learns our behavior and tailors our experience. We love when AI serve us, but at the moment we feel threatened that it will replace us. We may be afraid of the unknown now, but eventually we learn about it, adapt to it, and accept it. Take ChatGPT, for example. It's currently banned in some countries like Italy and many universities and schools in the US and Africa. Um, it's sad when people higher up take an ignorant approach and hold their people back. While the rest of the world is taking the time to learn and regulate, they'll get ahead and some will be left behind. Hopefully this changes soon and we can all move forward together.
1: Yeah, AI is growing rapidly. Chat GPT 4 is already out and banning it is irrelevant. In total, at the moment, it's unavailable in 45 countries, which is a significant amount. Anyone who goes down this path will feel like travelling back in time. I I don't think it will reach that point, as there are several technical ways of accessing it in blocked country. Anyways, The Atlantic boldly declared, the college essay is dead. And why is education under more threat than others? Is this why?
0: So, if the college's only form of assessment is an essay... Maybe. ChatGPT primarily responds in written text, so if anyone is threatened, it'll be writers. But we can discuss that later. Overall, I don't think AI necessarily threatens education or any other profession. It just requires a willingness to adapt and learn new skills. It's similar to when the internet first came out and some people struggled to adapt, but those with an open mindset thrived. Of course, there are always going to be some people who resist change and refuse to get on board with technology, but in the long run, it's on them. They may struggle to keep up with the rest of the field. On the other hand, those who embrace new technology will likely find ways to use it to enhance learning and reduce workload. It's essential to find balance between using technology to improve education, while also ensuring that the integrity of the learning process is preserved. This doesn't necessarily mean tightening security measures, but instead finding ways to encourage honesty and discourage cheating and plagiarism.
1: It's like the fourth industrial revolution. So why wouldn't heightened security work?
0: Some institutions have started getting AI software to detect AI plagiarism. And now with the AI software, you have plagiarism checkers. You get to write an essay that checks it for plagiarism before you submit it. It's a constant rush back and forth for a short-term solution. Even the security AI software, it's not 100% accurate. Turnitin, which many universities are using right now, isn't robust. On their website, they state they can't detect sentences which may have been generated by AI. This isn't different from a teacher suspecting someone who committed plagiarism, which is very risky for a teacher because you can accuse someone who's innocent. Like me, I write a lot. And when I read over my work, I'm shocked. Like, did I write that? So I could understand teachers questioning students. I did put this to the test where I asked someone to write me an email and write one using ChatGPT. And then I asked two pieces of software to ask if ChatGPT wrote this. And they said yes to both. So immediately everything unraveled. This is enough to reduce the reliability of software or a plagiarism case. And it makes sense. The AI language learns from us and we have a set of rules as to how English should be written. I think our expertise comes from adequately thinking of the right commands and assessing the output. I was able to determine which one is which, especially if you know both. I knew the person's writing style and and I've used ChatGPT in and out and it does have a style as well if you look carefully. Personally, I have to include the words dry, bland, and boring if I asked it to write an email for me because that's my style. If I were only receiving N, I would figure me out if I wrote something with immense gratitude. Although I do put effort when emailing clients to invite them to try the app. So honestly, can we 100 percentile no i don't think so
1: well I, I can concur i've received many bland dry and boring emails from you <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay i mean open ai took four years to develop chat gpt with billions in investment and it would surprise me if they found a solution in four months ChatGPT gpt was not a secret the studies were public the announcement was public investments were public Elon Musk tweeted, say goodbye to homework, and everyone just sat and waited. And now they're scrambling, placing blame on the software.
1: Yeah, it has been a very public development. But how can people change this mindset? It's not a question of whether or not to use chat GPT in school or university, but how to do so appropriately. So, having been through the education system recently with close ties to academia, Is there any possible solution where educators can engage meaningfully?
0: So you mentioned something. It's not about whether or not to use it. And that's correct. There's a slight shift from fearing it and trying everything to avoid it to embracing it. And to me, it's becoming a bit cliche to say this. I've seen most people responding complacently. And it should be to embrace it proactively, constantly pursuing the next development. I can't remember where I read it, but one educator said that they would be keeping a close eye on how it develops, and if it does become a problem, they will press the government to provide guidance and support.
1: Like how they kept an eye on it before.
0: Exactly. You can't keep an eye or keep up if it's not proactive. And this is the opposite of proactive. Not only are you sitting and waiting to react, you are placing it on another body to initiate change. This mindset has no place in survival of the fittest. It can be overwhelming for educators to think about how to incorporate AI technology into their curriculum, and it will take some effort to make necessary changes. However, I believe taking a proactive approach and considering the long-term benefits is important. Just like the development of ChatGPT took four years finding an effective solution To integrate AI in education will also take some time. It's crucial to evaluate what works, what doesn't, and adjust accordingly. It's also important to consider that technology is constantly evolving, so it's necessary to think ahead and not solely rely on the government to address the issue. The latest version of AI software will always be just around the corner, so it's essential to adapt accordingly. If not, educators will put themselves and their students at a disadvantage. The workplace is already using it, which is part of your job as a teacher, preparing them for work. Even I remember using an encyclopedia to do research then, Google came along in 1998. They adapted once. They can't do it again. The first thing is figuring out what it can and cannot do. Then you'd see where you can adapt your role. So it's good at throwing around regurgitated ideas, but it's not always accurate. It consumes data on the internet and anyone can write anything online. So that's a starting point. Teach students how to fact check and critically evaluate. One lecturer at the University of Houston created answers from ChatGPT and had the students analyze them for errors. So for students to do this, they have to know what the correct answer is. And secondly, they gain awareness of the risk of using this software. The second thing is that it is incapable of innovating, lateral thinking, complex problem solving and communicating. When you prompted for an answer, as Richard Branson and the Virgin Group did... It offered valuable insight, but it lacked creative instinct, that spontaneous decision making. In my experience using the software, I found the same. So it cannot replace those soft skills, and that's how companies and workplaces make their mark, from things that are uniquely human. So in a lesson plan, ask students to draw upon a personal experience think outside the box, and give innovative answers that a chatbot can't guess. It only compiles information readily available online to form a response to a given prompt. Its threat could be bypassed by redesigning assignments to be based on creativity. And probably a third solution is that it's text. In some cases, images. So there will have to be a shift towards oral assessments or in-person assessments Most universities still do in-person written exam. They can probably rest easy, but is this just delaying advancement? You know.
1: Yes, I remember that article by Richard Bramston. We can include it in the resources at the end of the podcast. So I think it's fascinating how he compared AI and dyslexia, saying that while AI can aggregate information, it doesn't necessarily innovate. Or bring anything new to the table in the way that dyslexic thinkers often do. And AI is fantastic at compiling and presenting information in a neat package to us, but there's still no substitute for the human mind when it comes to creativity and originality.
0: Yes, you can use it to bridge ideas. It brings me to a next point that can ease teachers' workload and reduce the number of students left behind. Many of us have ideas, but expressing them is a different story students can ask chat gpt to explain something at an elementary level and it can lead to a lot of self-learning it frees up the teacher's time to focus on ideas themselves how many of us are bombarded with countless student emails it can reduce workload if you teach students to safely use it to revise check homework answers and refine an essay it's able to write a paragraph in academic style For those students who speak a different language, it also reduces their cognitive burden of translating and allows students to focus on the core knowledge. For me, it provides a good starting point, which is no different from what I did in university. My cousin, she was a year ahead and would give me her essays, and I would use them to help me get going because I had my own ideas. Plus, the experiment was different. So it might mean teachers having to tweak assessments every cohort. Even with my thesis, I would look at the previous PhD students' thesis to get an idea of what is expected. And I'm sure this saved my supervisor's time. For research, it can mean less writing. You get those grants in quicker and more time in the lab or with students.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is incredible for writer's block. And it's all about working smarter not harder.
0: Yes, you just need to get those juices flowing. One thing it kind of gives you is the juice. If you rely on it for that, you will severely limit what you produce.
1: Okay, so let's talk about how ChatGPT works. Can you give us some info?
0: (laughs) so i have no idea i just know if you ask it crap you get crap so it's all about asking the right questions and hoping it doesn't pull some misinformed view from the internet i know all its work is published i know some bits like they outsourced a company for 200 million to ensure it behaves nicely so no racist or abusive stuff it's conditioned it makes me wonder If you were to write an essay on slavery, some literature recalls colonizers using physical abuse and abusive language like the N-word would it reproduce an essay erasing parts of history, and it did explicitly disclaim that it could generate responses that inadvertently erase or misinterpret aspects of history.
1: On that point, I have tried that as have many others, and there is examples all over the internet. And one which is quite prevalent is people asked Chat GPT to write a biography on Trump, and it refused to do so. But when the same question was asked with Joe Biden, it would write a wonderful essay. And so we have to really, you know, take that into account what maybe it's biases are towards different personas or different aspects like you mentioned of history um, which could be missing.
0: Definitely biased or conditioned for specific people. I got similar results for Elon Musk. It refused to quote him on anything. Probably it gets similar conditioning for Putin, but I don't think I'll be able to tell you all more. Um, Maybe you can, just not too technical, please. (laughs)
1: Well, I'll definitely give it a go. I'm not proclaiming to be an expert. And as we know, AI, ChatGPT is accelerating in development. So things could be changing all the time as we're recording this today. So ChatGPT, Google Bard and other bots like them are examples of large language models. And these systems are pretty intelligent and we've already seen that they can do amazing things with language, but they didn't just become smart overnight. And as you've mentioned earlier, this was partially four years in the making, and they were trained on massive amounts of data using machine learning algorithms. As you would expect, the companies behind these bots are pretty secretive about where they get their data from. However, there are some clues and we can look for that. For example, Google Barb mentions using sources like Wikipedia, public forums, and q and sites. Other sites like Reddit and Stack Overflow have also been used extensively by these models, and they're starting to get wise to this and looking to charge for access to their data.
0: Yeah, I did ask what the source was for an answer it gave me, and it said they couldn't provide that. Also with the charges, it may trickle down to the user and may not be as accessible as it is right now. So those who can afford it will be at an advantage also. If you're looking for an original and creative idea, you might not find it with these bots.
1: Yeah. And on the point of charging, I think it's good to mention that even ChatGPT has several models now that people can take advantage of depending what they want to do. So getting back to the point, it's pretty clear that much of what's publicly available on the web has been scraped and analyzed by these large language models. And to keep it basic, large language models use a combination of machine learning and human input to process these vast amounts of text data. The data is fed through what is known as a neural network, a type of AI engine comprising of multiple parts, which are categorized as nodes and layers. And these networks continuously adjust how they interpret and make sense of the data and Most large language models today use a specific neural network architecture called a transformer. Now, the really cool thing without sounding too nerdy here about transformers is that they can read vast amounts of text and spot patterns in how words and phrases are related to each other. And then from that, they make predictions about what words should come next.
0: So they don't really know anything.
1: No, exactly but they're really good at figuring out which word follows another, which starts to look like real thought and creativity. However, one critical innovation of these transformers is that they don't consider just words in isolation, but also in relation to each other in a variety of sophisticated ways. And this allows for a a greater level, let's say, of comprehension that would otherwise be impossible.
0: I always wondered how it groups ideas into paragraphs and it flows more or less logically. So in terms of errors, how do they slip through?
1: Well, there's some randomness and variation built into the code of Transformer Chatbots. And that's why you won't always get the same response every time you chat with one of them. And this allows errors to creep in too. So just as a test, ask ChatGPT the same question a couple of times, and you'll see you'll get slight variations on those answers. Basically, these bots don't really know what accurate is and isn't. They're programmed to look for plausible and natural responses that match up with the data they've been trained on. So even if a particular word or phrase is the most likely choice, the bot might sometimes choose the second or third most likely option. And of course, there's a limit to how far you can push this. If the bot starts straying too far from what makes sense, the sentences can start to sound really odd. So while these chatbots can be pretty impressive, and they are impressive, they're not yet perfect.
0: So it's like overusing a thesaurus.
1: Ooh, That's a fantastic example. And we've all been guilty of that. Maybe not as much as Joey from Friends with his letter, but we've all stretched our vocabulary beyond what is natural for us. And you may have noticed that sometimes the text generated by these chatbots can come off as a bit generic or cliched. Almost like they're churning out sentences the way a spreadsheet would try to find the average of a bunch of numbers. And you're left with something that's totally unremarkable and just kind of blah.
0: So what's your view?
1: Well, I think it's important firstly to keep in mind that we're still in the early stages of developing these large language models. And opinions and views on them are bound to change and evolve as we learn more. And despite all the buzz around AI, there's still a lot of human input involved in making these systems work. In fact, we are far from being made redundant. Human experts play a crucial role in training these large language models by identifying mistakes, ranking answers, and providing high quality results for the AI to learn from. It's all part of a process called reinforcement learning on human feedback. and. As these models learn from more and more feedback, they refine their internal neural networks even further, which helps them to generate even better results in the future. So while the systems may seem impressive on their own, they still rely on our human expertise to reach their full potential. And additionally, I think it's worth noting that there is a growing concern about the potential misuse of AI by dishonest individuals or bad actors, as they're sometimes called, who may request ChatGPT to generate content that manipulates public opinion. And to address this and other issues, currently more than 1,000 industry experts have called for a temporary halt to AI development.
0: That's a halt on advancement.
1: Absolutely. But I think the the halt isn't actually on the advancement of the technology, but more the safeguarding around its use. And it's a topic too big for this podcast, but it's going to be very interesting to follow that development. But I think I've covered a lot of the bases there. What about you? Would you trust AI?
0: I don't think we can, at least just not yet. I don't know if we can ever. We are the most intelligent species there is. Regardless of what we create, it will never supersede us. It's a kind of God complex where our creation cannot supersede us. We don't even have the biggest brain on the planet. We don't even use our whole brain to capacity. And yet still, we are the most intelligent here on Earth. I always double check everything that I produce with AI. Sometimes I use one AI to check another and have to figure out who is right. And much of my role has shifted to that in terms of medical care and we do have a public on this artificial intelligence in detecting skin cancer and it can solve problems like in remote areas where doctors can't get out to you can use a mobile app to scan your skin so that's one benefit plus it doesn't discriminate so there's no bias but patients said that it wouldn't trust ai especially as a sole opinion as a second opinion yeah and that is second to a human doctor opinion and personally i agree with that
1: yeah i think many people would resonate with with that opinion and i think um you know recently we've seen uh in the news that ai is being used to help people to regain the ability to walk so there is real value to it being used but you mentioned about you are you know having to use AI more and more. So could you explain a little bit about your role and how AI has impacted that?
0: I'm still exploring. So in terms of summaries, it's like any other summary application riddled with errors, but it has great readability. It can make the wrong info sound believable as well. When human summarizes, especially an expert in the field, you can determine a lot more what's really important and what the readers will find interesting. ChatGPT cannot do that. I encourage my writers to use it, but I'm also detail-oriented that I will actually go through, read the article and the summary and ask why they didn't include this bit of information or why is this word repeated so often. For now, it works well when I write a piece first and then command it to improve its readability. I still have to go over it as a slightest word change or plurality can change the meaning. My core role hasn't changed, but with the blogs, it gives a good starting point. I never really had writer's block. My problem is that I have so many ideas that it gets overwhelming, so it helps me to organize them. Sometimes I wouldn't agree with anything and i'd start from scratch it's either the tone or direction or the whole article just is a novel nothing new or creative and here is where writers can capitalize on personal experiences it just picks bits and bobs from other blogs and piece them together eloquently and how i knew this is that i was doing research on a topic prior to in chat gpt i still have to fact check get supporting references i don't rely on it to give me ideas but probably more so to refine my own. Even OpenAI has recognized the software's tendency to react with plausible sounding, but incorrect or nonsensical answers. As a content creation tool, it is weak. It actually creates nothing novel at the moment, but in terms of manipulating structure and form, making all content feel like brand new information, it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, I think One restriction, um, particularly with ChatGPT, as many people will be using the free version, is that data is really only from around 2021. ChatGPT 4 is going to have new features where you can point it to current information, Um, but that's something that's kind of just rolling out at the moment, Um, but it's not widely available. And I think you, you also mentioned harmful behaviors. And I really guess educators will have to be very aware and vigilant about how to protect their students. So, what are some of the concerns with chat GPT and the like?
0: Some chatbots had negative consequences recently, coaching users into harmful behaviors because remember, it regurgitates what it finds out there on the internet and they are pro suicide sites. tell others how to harm themselves so if you ask such you will get such and it depends on what capacity you use it for social bias is another one i mentioned they have invested millions in ensuring that the chatbot doesn't say anything racist or harmful but the problem then becomes erasing culture and identities and i don't think we can afford that especially since we already suffer things like the erasure of black history when slavery was abolished There were people on twitter that asked the chatbot to list 10 great philosophers and they were all 10 white men and some will take this at face value if they don't know any better but students have to learn how the chatbot works and learn that it was conditioned anything that gives the slightest whiff of being racist will not be presented and this social bias isn't new even google operates similarly students are already warned about this even wikipedia you're warned about using Wikipedia, but how many of us still use it? Everyone. Again, it's a good starting point, but it's just an extension.
1: Yeah, there's some very good points there. And in terms of solutions in a more administrative capacity, what can be done or cannot be done?
0: Some level of regulation is certainly required. As mentioned before, if you overregulate it or ban it, you could put yourself and your students at a disadvantage or even make the institution irrelevant. Like recently, I saw a job posting that familiarity with assistive AI technology would be an asset. And I was like, this isn't even being taught in schools yet. Schools are still grappling to accept it. Also, I think that it would be good for the educator to get on board and start tailoring their study material, but a large responsibility does lie in the government, the Department of Education, to hold these providers accountable to minimize harm and also provide educators with materials, training, or some sort of route to help them to get ready for what is about to take root. Many are confused and daunted by the effort, and much of this responsibility lies on those higher up. On the other hand, you can't wait on the government. Leadership here has to begin at home at the institution. On the local level, say in the university, departments can come together. The biology teacher can ask, how can this help me prepare lessons or multiple choice questions, and the computer science teacher to troubleshoot coding queries. So here you see a shift from being able to code, but the emphasis is more on critical thinking. So focus on that. To be honest, students are probably miles ahead with the technology. And let me be honest, back in school, I'd be, what is this dinosaur talking about? We as students are already ahead. It's going to happen again.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of these tools are free to students. So things like GitHub's Copilot is free and students can use it today for their coding. It's an assistive AI, which will look at their code and give them suggestions. So if you've just mentioned tutors and institutions are are not taking this seriously, the students will be ahead of them, but they won't have that guidance that they probably really, really need.
0: Absolutely, and another point of concern is that there are some students avoiding it out of fear, personal, or projected by the university. You know, those little teacher's pet, they don't want to do anything that will go against their favorite teacher or whatever. They fear that it will affect their learning, etc., and rightly so, but they're going to be disadvantaged if they're not guided. These brilliant students will be assessed unfairly. So we need to introduce it so that everyone is on the same page and students should be part of the conversation as well. This is the only way to know where everyone stands and where to start. It will require some experimentation to see what works.
1: Absolutely. I think experimentation in academia, in industry, and just people using it just for their own kind of learnings is really essential. So We've covered a lot with this topic today. What are your takeaways for us?
0: So there's reason for concern, obviously, but I think there are many more opportunities. Educators, I know they are worried, but don't be. The fact is so many books exist that we can learn without going to school, yet people still attend school. And when you go job hunting, employers value experience more yet people still go to school. So focus on the soft skills that you are providing that chat GPT cannot replace. I mean, any student, probably every student that recalls their favorite teacher remembers them for their soft skills. When I think of my favorite teachers, I remember empathy, support, encouragement, and trust. It reinforces our overarching social nature and needs for connection. It's really about knowing our students well, understanding how they approach their assignments and how we can support them with their assignments. New technologies don't make honest students into cheaters. For students like me who had to rigorously learn writing skills the hard way, I know it seems unfair, But any of these data centers can go down at any time and you're going to be a hero. Also, think of the generation before us who had to learn about things that are now useless. They might be heroes in a zombie apocalypse. And that's just how it goes. Think of it like a sophisticated Google. It just mimics human-like responses. That's not scary, right? We can't escape from the race of the future or its technologies, especially as we have things like OI coming up, which is organoid intelligence. If you thought science was scary or tech was scary, imagine them working together to mesh brain cells with computers. But as I said, (laughs) don't be scared. Humans will always prefer humans. Technology keeps advancing and so is the price of nature retreats. You find your balance with technology and the real world that works for you and hold on to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, balance doesn't mean half and half. It's like public, as you know, it's a mobile app, but everything else is human about it and all the content is written and voiced by humans.
0: Yes, definitely. I'm quite pleased we never caved to move away from that. You see the increase in need more than ever now.
1: Definitely. So we've reached the end of this podcast and thank you for tuning in. So we appreciate your support. As usual, all the relevant links are below. If you wanna get early access and a wealth of other valuable resources essential for researchers, make sure to download the public app. It will provide you with the knowledge you need to stay one step ahead in your research endeavors. Thanks for joining us.